0: Him tip dot com. the podcast about pop culture, black history and spirituality. Yeah it's about to be a great vibe. Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Tium Tip told you. Thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Them Tip Told You. Welcome to season two. Yay! Um, I'm calling it season two because it's been so long since I recorded. Um, I wanted to just start fresh. So this is season two, episode one. Um, a new introduction. Well, not maybe, maybe not a new introduction because the original introduction still stands. I'm still going to be tip. I'm still going to be all of me. I'm still going to be that liter- literacy focused... Black history, black centered, uh, pro empowerment of all oppressed people, loving Jay-Z and nineties era hip hop. I'm still going to be that person. I have not changed. Um, I do want this season to be more consistent. I want it to be more in depth and more researched and, um, just more in tune with you guys. I want to hear more from you in my inbox at Doctor Tip at com. I've missed you. Um, so here's what I want to talk about today. Um, I've done part one, which is to introduce the new season. Um, I want to talk a little bit about race versus ethnicity because I feel like I missed out on that Cardi B, Bruno Mars, um... Amara La Negra conversation. So I want to catch up with you guys on that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the H&M ad. Not much, but I want to remind us of some things. And then I want to get into the the beginning of the year kind of stuff. Um, Now that you've done your vision board, what are your next steps? So that's kind of what what I want to do today. Let's just jump right into uh, the Cardi B Bruno Mars Amara La Negra conversation. Um, you know, the American public school system does us in. I'm not going to blame folk for not knowing this. Now, I will blame you after we have this conversation. If you are still on this foolishness, I will blame you. Um, but if, if you're unexposed to what I'm about to explain to you, hey, it's a learning process. Uh, it's a teachable moment. Uh, educators should not be making fun of people who are on the wrong side of this. We should be dropping our pearls. Um... Shout out, though, let me interrupt and say shout out today. is I'm recording on Late Night Founders Day, January 15th, uh, our Founders Day for Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. I had to get that plug in. I also have to get the plug in for today is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I'm going to spend a, a little a few minutes at the end of this uh, podcast talking about uh, what we should be doing in terms of his legacy. But again, let's let's go back into this race and ethnicity piece. Now, there is a difference between race and ethnicity. The U.S. public school system, even though... It, <laughs> I, I'm not going to say what I wanted to say. Uh, it does not teach us uh, the nuanced difference between race and ethnicity. So let's do this. Race tends to be what you are born as, right? Um, in the United States, it is most commonly assigned to you based upon your parents' lineage and your phenotype okay so race is the thing we tend to be able to see are you black are you white all right notice that we didn't say anything about ethnicity yet if you pay attention on those demographic forms you pay out uh that you have to fill out on some things race is different from ethnicity so it'll ask you if you're you know And pay attention to the alphabetical order. It itches my teeth that white and Caucasian, excuse me, white usually comes first, even though it's not in alphabetical order. That's crazy to me. But anyway, so, um, that is your race. Your ethnicity on the other hand tends to be where you, where you are from your land of origin. Let's say it that way. So if you were born in Cuba Your ethnicity would be Cuban, which is why on most U.S. demographic forms, ethnicity is different from race. So it'll ask you if you're white, if you're black, if you're Asian, and then it'll ask you if you're Hispanic, non-Hispanic, because what it's really asking you is what is your race? Now tell us what your ethnicity is because race and ethnicity are mutually exclusive. Now I said all that to say a couple of things. One, You know, African-Americans, we can be some very arrogant people. Continental Africans, Caribbean Africans, don't roll your eyes because you probably the only people on the face of the earth just as arrogant as we are. Let me say this to all of the diaspora family, including those still on the continent. You don't own blackness, baby. You don't get to assign blackness to anyone. African-Americans are very bad at that. I hate that term African-American, but just for distinction purposes right now in this conversation, I'm going to use it. Black, but let's, let's do it like this. Black folks born and raised in the United States who speak English as their first language. You do not own blackness. You don't get to define those boundaries for other black people. <laughs> okay? That's number one. Number two If we look at the transatlantic slave trade, only a very small percentage of Africans actually made it into the United States. 40% of all those brought into the West ended up in Brazil alone. So the United States, even by number, you can't claim blackness. You can't do it. Guess what? If you were born in Nigeria, Zimbabwe, South Africa, anywhere on the continent, you too get the same sermon. You do not get to define who is black and who is not because my Africans that were taken from African soil, I'm sorry, my, see the Freudian slip, my ancestors that were taken from African soil, you don't get to tell them who they were because I guarantee you they were more African than people living today. All right. So that's number two. Number three, close your mouth, walk into a store, You all will be treated the same way. You don't get to define blackness for other people. Now, in reference to this Bruno Mars, Cardi B stuff about them performing black music, one, I don't know of anyone else besides Bruno Mars right now in mainstream music that is bigging up black music the way he does. Uh, Fight me on that. I can't think of anybody who in their interviews honors and respects Those who have gone on before the way he does. And y'all were letting Justin Timberlake slide, even after what he did to Janet? Y'all let Robin Thicke slide? Don't act like you weren't bumping John B. back in the day. This is a man of color whose mother is Filipino. And I just want to point out that Africans were there too. All right. So there's a diaspora that goes into Asia. We don't get to define blackness for people. Now, whether or not Bruno Mars self-identifies, let me just remind you that passing is not a new thing. And as my father likes to say, being in the woodshed ain't new either. So some people with black blood, who may not know they got black blood? Or he may not have black blood, but what I'm saying is we don't own those boundaries. Now, I'm not talking about no racial dolazar foolishness. You know that transracial foolishness. She's white. She's delusional. She has a very superficial understanding of what it means to be black. But I do want to say this. This is point what number four or five about this Cardi B Bruno Mars situation, because I think La- Amara La Negra. We took care of her in point number one, <laughs> right? You can be you can be black and be from somewhere else, okay? Um, we so we've taken care of that. But in terms of this Cardi B Bruno Mars, who gets to own black musical sound? Um, especially that sound that is heavily influenced by hip-hop. Let's go back to the history, right? Hip-hop started among members of the African diaspora. Not all of them had the ethnicity of American when it started. So if Cardi B, someone from the diaspora part of the Caribbean, performs the music that her people helped create, that's not appropriation. Okay, there is a difference between race and ethnicity. And I want us to be more informed when we have these kinds of conversations, because some of y'all sound real unlearned. So let me say this. Study the definition of diaspora. Look at where we ended up. See, Africans have been around the world since the world has been round. We exist almost everywhere so simply saying someone's parents are from another place does not negate their blackness saying that someone speaks another language does not negate blackness and let's go back to point number one none of us have sole ownership over the boundaries of blackness right okay i'm off that um I didn't do everything I wanted to do there, but I think I hit enough to say, you know, we can't afford to be divided by language, by religion, by class, none of this. Black folk can't afford to be divided. And we're dividing ourselves over very superficial things, and we are very ahistorical in that division. Like we go back three or four generations, we can't tell who is whom. I remember when I had my DNA test, the AfricanAncestry.com, and I got my results back, and I was very sad. And I was talking to my grandmother about it, and she said, baby, back in them fields, everybody was going with everybody anyway. Right? Who shares your culture? That's what you need to be concerned about. Who shares your culture? who believes in black cultural ethos, this idea of cultural harmony, who believes in honoring the ancestors, who believes in taking care of the elders, who believes in protecting the children. These are the people you need to be unified with, regardless of the language they speak, regardless of the God they worship, regardless of any of that, that's who you need to be aligning yourself with and worrying about what language one speaks. That's a a distraction. Let me just let me just say that. And I'm saying all that to say this. We as African descendants need to be more disciplined in our learning. Whatever it is we're seeking to understand, we should have the discipline to go out and to learn about it, not just spout off off the cuff, uninformed um. Uh, you You Googled it and you read your, your first two or three hits, that's not enough if If you do feel uncomfortable about someone um, appropriating your culture like that's your first assumption. How about you do some research? What's their lineage? Go to that place. What's the history of this place? Is there a significant African population in that place? <clears throat> How did they get there? What has been their ties to U.S. culture since then? Etc. You shouldn't just pop off the first day you hear about something or the first time you see a video. Oh, I'm getting ahead. At the end of the video, they say uh, they give big ups to In Living Color. Come on, y'all. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Oh, my gosh. Anyway. All right. So I did that. I did the race and ethnicity piece. What was the other piece I said I wanted to do? Race and, oh, the H&M ad. Okay, so the H&M ad. Listen, some of you said there was nothing to be offended by. That comment is ahistorical. You need to understand how the images of black humanity have been used to create justification for some of the things you are concerned about right so when they kill when they lynch when they shoot down like a dog in the street mike brown it's and then they get off because they justify it by saying they were afraid then you need to understand how the images of black men as beasts help support that narrative of I was afraid, therefore the murder is justified, right? It's systems work in pieces. You can't separate one part from another. The systematic use of images to support the dehumanization of black bodies allows people to be justified in their murder, their lynching, their destruction of those same black bodies, right? So it does matter. Just say you don't understand why it matters to some of us, but be assured when I tell you it does matter. There is a, oh, I'm on my soapbox today. I missed y'all and I haven't been able to vent. So I'm sorry it's coming across like that, but let me try to explain this. Let me just say this. I don't want to explain it. Do me a favor. There are two documentaries I want you to, to watch. If you have access To a community center, don't watch it alone. Watch it with two or three people, y'all have a conversation. The first one is ethnic notions. That's more academic, but it really does help unpack the images and how those images support the treatment of black bodies based on the needs of the dominant culture at a given time, right? Because the images change over time. For example, during slavery, there was this need to show black people as content, and happy, and safe, right? So you have the Uncle Remus trope. He's a safe, happy Negro, telling stories to the little childrens, right? So he's safe. But after slavery, there is a need to control Black bodies in another kind of way. See, Uncle Remus needed to be used to justify slavery, to rationalize its existence. These soft, docile, uh, dim-witted, Uh, humans needed to be taken care of. So slavery was a good institution. That's how the image of Uncle Remus types supported slavery. But post-slavery, we have to create now an image that can be used to rationalize the imprisonment of black bodies, right? To be controlled in sharecropping and chain gang systems. So now you have the brute, right? The dangerous black beast that has to be controlled. Right. So the image shifts because now the system has to justify its um, imprisonment of black bodies. So we always have to be careful and pay attention to the images that dominant culture puts out about us, because eventually those images become the rationale for the mistreatment of ourselves, especially our bodies. So what we need to be doing is yes, very upset about the H&M ad, critiquing it. Right. Teaching our children, because it, it's the younger generation who's saying, I don't understand this, because we've never taught them to pay attention to the images as justification. Right. They think they're beyond that. But we have to show them how it all fits together like a beautiful puzzle. Well, a nefarious puzzle. Right. It all fits together like a puzzle. Now, here's I, I do get the young generation's frustration, though. So here's what I do think we need to be doing while we are critiquing H and M. We shouldn't have been spending our money there anyway. Right. You should already be investing in black owned businesses that support your communities. But what I want our young people to, well, all people, I'm not going to put it all on the young people. What I want our people to understand is you can critique something and simultaneously be centering yourself. Right. I shop in black owned, I I don't shop at H&M so I can critique it and they still ain't getting my ducats, right? So let's do that. Let's, let's understand that. And let me say this before you get in social media and in public saying you don't understand why other black people are offended. If a majority of black people are offended and you are not. Rather than spouting off that the rest of us are just overly emotional and too sensitive, how about you have a conversation with some of your elders and see if there's more to the story that you may not know. And it's okay if you don't know, right? Because none of us know everything. It's okay if you don't know, but if you reach out, you might learn something, all right? I just want us to be willing to have those conversations in-house, right? in-house let's have those conversations so those are the two you know pressing issues I wanted to hit and here's my third one and it's part of what I'm doing right now um, I am trying to center in my purpose right this is the one of the reasons that I started started the Sankofa sessions the free black history classes that I do in my hometown Is part of me trying to center my my purpose and align my politics with my day-to-day life, right? I think there are a lot of us who have these strong political ideologies and fewer of us than than that number are actually walking that walk. Like it's easy um, to say support black businesses. It's a little bit harder to order your detergent online, Amazon, and have it shipped to you. Right. That's a little bit more difficult. It's a little bit more difficult for me even to say, um, I love teaching in HBCUs, but then I'm looking at my colleagues who are not in HBCUs and they're making more money and they have more time to write and publish then it becomes harder to negotiate my own political ideology. But what I'm trying to do this year is to become okay in that because I do know, this is what I do know from, from my own experience is that when you are centered in the purpose that God gives you, whatever you call God, if you are centered in that purpose, that everything else is added to you, right? The Bible says that everything else is given to you. So what, you know, once I learn to be okay Centering myself in what I believe my purpose to be. And I think I've, I think today was the day I actually nailed it down. Like it's been building up. I've known parts of it, but I think it was all solidified today. Once I pray on it some more and meditate on it some more, I'm going to um, release my mission statement to you guys. Cause I think I'm there. I think I have finally <laughs> narrowed it on my purpose. Now here's what I mean by everything else will be added to you. I haven't figured out how to monetize it. Maybe that'll come. Maybe, you know, I'll meet some kind of generous donor who believes in me, or maybe I'll meet me a sugar daddy. Whatever it is, I do have faith that my ancestors will provide, God will provide, you know, um, Yeye Oshun will take care of me. Whatever. I believe that that'll happen now that I have fully identified, I'm clear on my purpose. And now I can start asking deliberate, clear questions Uh, from spirit in terms of guidance to getting those things that I really, really, really want. But I wanted to share that with you that, you know, once you are clear on what it is you really want, it becomes easier to sit down and map out those goals. So that's what I've been working on today. I've, um, I've taken my five year plan. I deleted all the information in my five year plan. I didn't even take notes over what was there before because I want to operate from this newfound clarity, right? Based on this newfound clarity, I have mapped out where I want to be five years from now. And right now I'm in the process of backing that up into my yearly goals. Um, And starting once I start backing up into those yearly goals, then I can be more clear about the things I want to accomplish in 2018. It also allows me to be more clear about, um, what my daily to do list should look like, because that again, if you've been listening, um, for the last few episodes, you know, that that should be aligning. My daily to do list should be aligning with my yearly, um, and five year goals. Right. So I'm working on that. The other thing I have not done, well, I have started on it is my vision board. The board is complete. Let me say it like that. The board is complete. But let me say this, if you are a person who works on vision boards, if all you do is create that vision board, look at it, manifest, you know, do your manifestation act- activities or affirmations. Um, if you're doing that daily, that's still not enough because there is another step you need to take in order to make that vision board complete. If you want to know more about that, make sure you go to www.tellumtiptoldyou.com and download or request um, the workbook for what to do after your vision board is done because there is another step. And if you, you, your vision board is going to accomplish a certain amount of your goals just as is. But if you implement these other instructions, I'm here to tell you that you increase your chances of manifesting those things that you've put on your vision board. So I want you to go to the website and download that. All right. Um, I wanted to just spend a moment or two uh, um, talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Because again, I'm recording on Monday, January 15th, which is his birthday. And um, we honor Coretta Scott King for not only standing beside uh, Dr. King um, throughout his struggles for our civil rights, but also in um, struggling and fighting Uh, to have today recognized in his memory. And so we celebrate both of them today. We celebrate family, right? The King family, we celebrate them and the tremendous sacrifices they made. At the same time, we celebrate the network that they, networks, right, plural, that they were connected to because we know that one man, one man and one woman alone could not have accomplished all that they did except that they worked in community with the community. So we honor and respect those whose names we can call and those names we cannot call who have been lost to human memory, to human tragedy. Um, We honor and respect all of those people who sacrificed for us. We cannot allow King's legacy to be whitewashed. I can't tell you how often I have seen white moderates use parts of his rhetoric to try to police black radical thought. And I want all of us to be reminded that King was a radical. The government kept COINTELPRO files on him. They harassed him. They harassed his family. They threatened him. They threatened his family. You don't do that to a teddy bear. And you don't do that to someone you agree with. All right. So we can't allow... Uh, his rhetoric to be whitewashed. I challenge everybody who posted a a King quote today to go read a full speech or a full letter. Don't piecemeal the brother. He was not a piecemeal type brother. He was a scholar. He was a strategist. He did far more than March. And we owe him more than two or three line quotes. All right? You got it. That's your homework. I have enjoyed speaking with you today. I have missed you. Um, My internet is down at the house. That's another excuse I've been using. It's just an excuse. So I'm no longer using those excuses. So what I'm doing is recording tonight. I'll upload it tomorrow when I get to some some public Wi-Fi. Um, You guys take care. I love you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Tell them told you. Bye.